and I'm sorry for that. I got a little bit worked up. Um, this morning's going to be shorter than normal. Is that okay? Why? Why is that okay? That's called a bait and switch, my friends. All right. Um, and what I want you to focus on is this toothbrush, because at some point I'm going to make this toothbrush make sense in my message, okay? I've been um, teasing Robin um, all day here, telling her, I've been holding this up and saying, this is going to teach us something in my message, and she doesn't think it's funny. But anyways, that's besides the point. She walked out to go take care of something, you know, probably the kids. But um, this, we're going to look at John chapter 5, um, verses 12 through 17, and it is a very common part of scripture, but I want to set this up before we go there. Um, I have a song I'm going to play at the very end of my message today that I think uh, is one of those songs that I just keep listening to over and over and over again. And it's called um, The Song of Real Love. And love is a topic that seems to be everywhere. It seems to be in our songs, it seems to be in, in our memes and our Facebook this and our, it's definitely in faith, it's in, in just about everything, whether we love or we don't love, whether we are loved or we're not loved, what does love look like, how do we describe love, it is this abstract thing that everybody seems to have their own opinion of what love looks like. I was part of a, a salon one, one time, not like where you cut your hair, okay, just like a group of people discussing something, where they tried to like define love and terms, and it was very interesting how everybody had a very different perspective of what, what love looks like. And that's okay, that's that's fine. Um, but it, it, where it gets a little bit, uh, shall I say, problematic, is when we think we can define what, what, what love, loving like Jesus looks like. When we can interpret it in our own way. I think where the church has gone at times awry is when we have decided that we're going to interpret what it looks like to love like Jesus our own way, according to our own, maybe, uncomfortabilities, our own things that annoy us, our own things that we don't understand, we don't get, it's outside of our, maybe our cultural reference point. We we seem to, uh, from, from person, it's amazing because you can walk into the most loving, inclusive house of worship, or you could walk into the most hateful, non-inclusive, you know, I don't like to say the rest, uh, church, place, house, and both of them think they're loving well. Both of them think they're loving according to the word of God. I, I've had a lot of people in conversation tell me that, that what they were doing, even though it was harmful to another human being, was indeed the love of Jesus. Told you a little bit about the story last week of us being out at um, the Manatee Pride, uh, tabling out at Manatee Pride, and the group of Christians and believers that came up and I had about a 20 minute conversation as they told me, We're here, we're here just to love people and to show them the love of Jesus. And as things progressed, um, it was very apparent that nobody was feeling the love. So the question is, do we, when we love people, are we the only ones that get to decide whether or not it's love? Does the person on the end, the recipient, get to decide too what love looks like? In other words, can they say to you, you think that you're loving me, but actually I feel harmed. I feel unsafe. I feel you're making me feel insecure. You're making me feel like I'm, I'm um, 
for us to love one another in John 5, it, it doesn't just say love one another. We're going to find out as we read this, it actually says that we need to love like Jesus loved. And Jesus gave us enough examples here on the earth that it's pretty hard to come up with a separate definition. Now, this might seem basic. You might have heard messages on love and loving your neighbor, but have they incorporated a toothbrush into it? No, they have not. You're right. Not quite sure how I'm going to either, but I will get there. No, no, I know. This is John 5, 15. I said 5, it's 15, guys. I'm sorry. It's John 15. John 15, 12 through 17. Michael, I know you have to go. I'm praying for you. I love you. Be a good brother. Go take care of your sister, all right? Love you, buddy. Michael's sister's getting out of the hospital after like a couple of months of treatment for a very aggressive form of cancer. So he's the only family member that's in a position right now to be able to go receive her from the hospital. So they've been pushing back the date. So let's just pray for him right now. Can we do that? Father, we love Michael and his family, his dad and his sister. We just pray that you, Lord, that you are there to encourage and lift him up. And we pray for total and complete healing for his sister, that she will live and not die, that she will that she will live a long, long life. And we thank you that he's bringing hope into that room and into her story. And he's carrying, um, as, just as a representative of heaven, a life with him. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone says, come on, amen. John 15 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Very specific, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. Sacrificial love is, is, is maybe the, the benchmark or the high watermark of what love looks like. You are my friends if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, and for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. This is very interesting, there's a couple ways that we can interpret this, but I'm going to interpret it this way, um, once somebody is a friend and they know you, they can't act like they don't, didn't know that something harmed you, hurt you, or wasn't okay. In other words, once we are no longer servants, just waiting around for our master's command, and we actually know Jesus, and we know his heart, and we've actually experienced the kind of sacrificial love that's only poured out in that way from him, that unconditional sacrificial love, he's saying, listen, you know me, we're friends, we have a relationship, right? So if I go to dinner with you 30 times, and I know, like me, that I'm allergic to peanuts, if you go to dinner with me 30 times and you say, hey, let's order an appetizer for the table, and you order chicken satay with a peanut sauce, I'm going to look at you and be like, is this for the table or is this for you? <laughs> right? I expect you to know about me after 30 times of going to dinner. We have a relationship you know. Now, you might order for yourself, and that's fine. We just can't kiss later, all right? <laughs> but, but... But I expect you to, to know. And, and it's interesting because we have all these definitions of what it looks like to love. And he's saying, wait a second, you know. You know what it looks like to love like Jesus. 
we pass a lot of excuses off to, to insert our opinion and give people a piece of our mind and, you know, we're going to give them the truth and love and all that kind of stuff and harm people in all sorts of ways and take a scripture out of context and wield it like a sword. I don't know if you realize this, but the word of God being compared to a sword wasn't so we could fight other people. We're not fighting the enemy, so I'll tell you, you can figure out what the sword's for, okay? But as I read this, and he says, you're no longer servants, and he says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you, in verse 16, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then he sandwiches this like an Oreo, with verse 12 at the top, saying, this has come my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 17 these things I command you, so that you will love one another. There's like, this is the most, like, you cannot escape this. There's no trap door here. This is a dead-end road. you got one choice, love one another. And let me tell you how you should love one another, like me. And do it in a way that you would know me and how I love, because we're friends. I'm not, you're not my servant, you're not my, uh, you're not my slave here. You're, my ser- you're not my servant, you're my friend. And also, I want you to know, I loved you before you ever loved me. So let me remind you of something. If you think that someone needs to jump over our little spiritual hurdle in order for them to feel loved, I didn't make you do it. Do you remember that moment? No, you all just came into church all cleaned up, perfect and wonderful like you are this morning. Just walked in the first time having no issues, no problems. Yeah? All of us? Yeah, me too. You know how much conditions were put on me receiving all that God has done for me? Zero. You know how many conditions he puts on me right now? Still zero. Well, wait a second, Pastor Dan. Wait now. Do you know that he conditions is this? Is there something I can do or say or not do or not say that's going to change how much he loves me? No. How much God loves me? No. None. Zero. I can't change the love of my creator no matter what I do. I can be antagonistic. I can be a sinning machine. Like KK. I can, um, sorry. It's the tattoos. I would never mar this body. What are you doing? This is that some sort of like sign? Is that you, is that you flicking me off or something? What's this? Oh, undo my shirt? No, I'm not. That's terrible. I, I believe in covering myself in the house of the Lord. Are you crazy? Somebody did pin me down to give me this one time. All right. <laughs> I'm a pastor. The rules don't apply to me. Don't you know anything? Oh, you're gonna get that later. All right, here we go. He doesn't give us any sort of out out of this other than do it the way I did it or don't call it love. And he never met me with conditions. He still doesn't meet me with conditions. He doesn't. I was thinking about this the other day, a couple weeks ago in our spiritual development class that we do with the clients of Harvest House and anyone else that wants to join in. We do with the, uh, the clients of Harvest House, the men and women there. They're 
amazing. It's one of my favorite things to do. At 3 o'clock on Wednesday, I go, oh, God, I have to do this tonight. And then at about 7.30 in the middle of it, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm here doing this. It's, a, it's an amazing time. And funny enough, Jakima volunteered to replace me one of these weeks, and they don't even know what's going to hit them. But anyways, that's besides the point. Um, a couple weeks ago, we did boundaries. We were talking about boundaries, and we used um, Danny Silk's version of boundaries that he, he does, which is really cool. We drew these circles, and we talked about the different circles of, of letting people in your life. And then we had we had outside of the circle, and we said that there are people that will get to a place in your life where they become so unsafe that you have to put them outside of the circle. They're no longer in any of these circles that are a part of your life and your world, from acquaintances all the way to your partner in life, being at the center, you know, the center there. And so we said out here is the unsafe people, the people that have brought drama and chaos and conflict and all the stuff here on the outside, right? And, 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 and we talked about how there, sometimes somebody needs to be put there because they become so harmful in your life. And it's okay to establish that boundary. And then it's also okay for them to work their way back into a place where you can trust them again. And we talked about the, the value of healthy boundaries. And it's a, it's a brilliant diagram. Maybe I'll do it in church sometime. No, none of you need extra boundaries. Anyways, and, and, and we said, you know, it's good to have these healthy boundaries. It's good to understand that some people shouldn't have access to your life because they've repeatedly shown over and over and over again to, to be harmful. And I thought to myself um, yesterday, thinking about this message, you know, Jesus has terrible boundaries. Because some of us deserve to be pushed outside of the last final circle, and he never did it. And he doesn't even have levels, because in this we have, like, acquaintances, then we have, like, close friends, and then we have family members, and then you have the person that you're with in life at the center, right? Isn't God at the center? Calm down, okay? It's just talking about people, people relationships, right? So all the way down to the center... And, and so we even have in that, like, you know, not everybody can be your partner, right? Not everybody can be your close family, etc. What's up, heaven? You have no boundaries. God needs a lesson in boundaries. Because he doesn't have any. As a matter of fact, no matter how harmful we are, no matter how far we run away, even if we squander everything that's been given to us, God's waiting on the front step saying, welcome home, it's time to throw a party. He actually shows that he celebrates the people that seem to be the most off course. So if we want to look at what love looks like, if we want to look like what it looks like to love like Jesus, it's a hardcore road. I, I pulled this up in my wacky version, it's called The Mirror, which I love. Verse 12 says this, check this out. I advise you to discover your love for one another mirrored in my love for you. This is the conclusion of my mission. Interesting. The word that we use as commandment in the New Testament primarily is the word entole. And it actually is part, it's made up of two, two different parts. En being in, makes sense, and telo, T-E-L-O, meaning complete. So when it says, this is my commandment, it actually he's saying, this is my conclusion. Or this is my incompleteness. I know that's not a word, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing it as little as possible. This is my, not incomplete, because that means not complete, but in my com- completion here. When you do this, you actually complete the fullness of the representation of who I am. So when he commands us to do something, what he's saying is, if you 
do this thing I'm commanding you, you will represent in, in its complete, most whole form, me. Verse 13, there's no greater expression of love than the love that leads someone to lay down his life for his friends. Our friendship is endorsed in our continual engagement with the conclusion of my mission. Our connection, our friendship, here's the thing. If you, I'll put it this way, if you, after 30 times going to dinner with me, talking about food, don't know what I'm allergic to, are we really friends? And we can't wait, because we might not talk about that, but just go with me. If, if you don't know a, a, an important detail about my life, then how well can we say that we know each other? And, and this is crazy, because I don't think there's anywhere else where it's put like this. Jesus is literally saying, our friendship, our, our ability to describe or to show to other people that we have a relationship is proven, if you will. The proving ground of that is how well you love like me. Everybody in the room is thinking of one person they should have loved better. Now, I want to go back to the boundaries thing because we're not a God and you need to have boundaries. So I'm not saying don't have boundaries, all right? have boundaries. They're great. I highly encourage you to have them. I have boundaries with my toothbrush. That's going to come up later. That sounds like I don't brush my teeth. That's not what I was saying. All right. <laughs> when the Bible talks about being set apart or different than the world, it doesn't mean that we run around speaking in tongues, spoiling each other's heads and falling out on the ground and shaking. Because that would be different than the world. I actually think sometimes we've, not any of this, if that offends you, I'm sorry. But do you understand that I think I, I grew up in crazy charismania slash Pentecostal slash we didn't know what we were. And I've been a part of some very crazy meetings that I'm sure God was moving, but I don't know if it was all his moving. Because I've been in meetings where someone took the microphone and thought it was a Holy Ghost like laser gun. It was shooting people and they were falling over. As a matter of fact, one time I was in a meeting with somebody who was zapping people with their microphone and they were falling out over the ground and or touching them with their foot or whatever else and they were falling out. And one time one of the falling outers fell next to me and I was in the front row next to the person that was zapping them. And at one point, I thought to myself, I think my foot can do this too. So I stuck my foot up and tapped that person on the shoulder, and they also began to shake like crazy under the power of God until they looked up and saw it was my foot and not the guest speaker. And then I lost my powers. True story. We look at that and we go, see, we're set apart. This is weird what you're doing. Well, that's because we're set apart. We're different from the world. Do you know what sets us apart and makes us different from the world? How well we love. And we have done everything but that. And I will say this. Sometimes I feel more love outside the church than I do in it. Not this one. But and we say, well, the world hated him and he hates us. No, 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 no. That, that's not an excuse to be nasty to people outside the church. To, to basically fulfill the self-prophecy that the world hates us. 
Do you know who hates me more than the world? Pastors. I've had my car keyed. I've had uh, nasty messages sent to me. I've had um, uh, books show up in the mail that have terrible, 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 um, very graphic and vulgar things. I had uh, a, a greeting card that somebody specially ordered and sent me that had a man's genitalia that popped up out of the card when you opened it up. I had all sorts of things said and done, and so has my family over the years. And it didn't come from someone in the world. It came from Christians, pastors, leadership, people who were pissed off because we were reaching people that they think shouldn't be included in a part. That's who's been the nasty ones. But if we actually want to prove that we have some sort of friendship with Jesus, if we want to look like Jesus, express uh, what heaven has done like Jesus, if we want to love like Jesus, that's what actually sets us apart. It's the people that go out of their way to show somebody that they are loved beyond all, anything that we can get back in return, beyond any expectation. It's those things. For Jesus, it looked like this, and I just wrote some stuff down, and this is not a comprehensive list, so don't spam me later and say, is this one? This is not a comprehensive list. But to those that were celebrating a wedding, it was more wine. To the nobleman, it was curing his son. To Simon Peter, it was helping them catch more fish. To the man with the unclean spirit, it was freedom and peace of mind. To Peter, it was healing his mom. To the leper, it was cleansing. To the centurion, it was healing his servant. To the widow's son, it was resurrection. To his fellow sailors, it was calming a storm. To the paralyzed man, it was walking again. To the ruler's daughter, it was resurrection. To the woman with the issue of blood, it was healing and no more shame. To the blind man, it was sight. To the man who was mute, it was speech. To the man at the pool of Bethesda, it was healing. To the man with a paralyzed, withered hand, it was healing. To the 5,000, it was a meal. To the woman of Canaan, it was healing. And to Lazarus, it was resurrection and a new life. That's how Jesus loved people. See, how could more wine be a great expression of love? It was a need and he met it. How could... How could a lunch to 5,000 be an expression of love? It's what they needed at the time. Instead of us asking ourselves, what do I need to feel good in this interaction with this person in front of me? How about we ask, what do they need? What can I give? How can I represent who I am? How can I represent my koinony and my friendship, my relationship with God, with this person in front of me? What does it look like to love like Jesus? Because it's not hate, bigotry, rolling our eyes and faces and excluding and all the stuff that we've been known for as a church. It's none of that stuff. There's only one, one clear measure of what it looks like to love someone like Jesus. And we see it all over the New Testament. Do you hear me today? Anything outside of this is fraudulent love. It's not real. I got to thinking to myself, and we're going to play a song to end this toothbrush here because I thought to myself, you know, sometimes I'm too tired and exhausted and I just don't have any more love to give. I don't. So I think. There's times in my life where I'm just like, I know I need to step up and show somebody that they're cared for, that they're important, that they're valuable. But I've already done that today. 
toothbrush my ticket. I don't, I don't have it in me. I'm busy. And then this toothbrush this morning, it is really messed up and worn out. You see that? This proves I brushed my teeth. It's very old. I have about four toothbrushes that are all very old, and I just keep using them. And this week, as I promised to you, I'm buying a new toothbrush. But you know, this toothbrush is it, kind of like me. It keeps saying it has doesn't have enough battery anymore to do its little shaky, shaky thing and get all the tartar and black and stuff off your teeth. But for a year and a half, that's how long I've had this since it's been dead. It can't be recharged. It's one of those just use it until it dies and get a new one thing. For a year and a half, this thing has been saying, I don't have enough battery for you to brush your teeth. And yet, for a year and a half, when I push the button, it does this. To let me know it doesn't have any more battery to do exactly what it's doing right now. And so I thought, to, I got to thinking to myself, you could have saved a year and a half of telling me you don't have battery and giving me three more months of brushing my teeth. Because clearly you have a battery. And you know, at the end of the day, we think we don't have any more battery left or capacity to love people, but we do. You know why? Because God created us in his own image. Come on, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, his capacity to love was so great that he gave the most precious thing he had, which means we have a great capacity to love people. You think I'm joking? This thing will go for years just buzzing like this, saying, I don't have any more battery to buzz for your teeth. Yeah, you do. You do. See? Every time I pick it up, I say, I forget that it's dead, and I press that button and get angry every time, going, clearly you can brush my teeth one more time. It's still going. Are you dead? It's never dead. It's never dead. Trust me, it acts like it's dead, and somehow it finds battery power in the battery that has no more power. It's mocking me now. I want to play this song for you, and I hope you find some encouragement. Um, these, these words and the music kind of fit into, uh, fit so perfectly what I wanted to say today. And you might be asking yourself, why don't you just play it and let us go home? Well, I'm sorry about that, but you would have known this why this toothbrush was being used. Can we play that song loud enough for them to hear the lyrics? Because it's the most important.